I'm so happy you're back. This is episode 11 of the Honey Badger Diaries. I think from now on I'm gonna shift my podcast a little bit. The focus so far has been pretty strongly on this sort of geographical idea, different countries, different policies, different cultures and how to deal with the situation. Um, I'll still make these episodes, uh, but I'm also gonna shift shift gears a little bit and try to try to have discussions on the problem itself how to deal with it sort of regardless of geographical differences i was already doing that a little bit but i i think uh moving forward there will probably be a a, a stronger focus of this podcast uh, my guest for this episode is giacomo zuko uh, he's the other half of the Mir Giacomo duo, or maybe now I should say the Giacomo Mir duo. Now that he's on, um, I, 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 most people will know him. I, I, he, he's uh, everyone knows him. Everyone knows Giacomo. What can I say? What can I say to introduce this guy? Everyone knows him already. Well, he's the co-founder of B Academy. B Academy is the Academy of Cryptocurrency and Blockchain Technologies. I just read that from their website. Um, Giacomo is going to give me a short update on the Milan situation, the Northern Italy situation, uh, and his perspective on wh what's been going on. And then the second half of the interview, we shift more towards libertarianism and how a libertarian society would deal with this type of problem. Uh, if if during the interview you're thinking by yourself, this Giacomo is a real idiot, or this Aaron is a real idiot, they're both real idiots, feel free to ping me on Twitter. Um, I'm willing to hear differing opinions. I'm Aaron van Wey on Twitter. I'll pronounce that in English. It's probably better. At Aaron Van W. Um, I also have a Twitter handle for the podcast itself now, which is at thb diaries i try to keep my episodes to about half an hour that's sort of what i'm aiming for but we have giacomo on you know that's not gonna you know you know you're not gonna manage with half an hour so longest episode so far i uh i hope it's not too much for you that's it that's my intro talk that's what you need to know my intro tune will start and then you'll hear the interview cheers these are the Honey Badger Diaries, the Honey Badger Diaries. Hey, Giacomo. Welcome to hey, the hello. show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very fun to listen to it so far. Yeah, I had a mirror on last week, of course, and uh, I, you, were, you were a bit jealous. <laughs> well, also, uh, Switzerland was underrepresented because I'm just in another room, but I represent the, the, the tech citizen of another country. Ah, I see. So, um, uh, well, you you are in Milan, of course, right? Yeah. To yeah, be clear, I, I was uh, I was in Switzerland when the lockdown started, and uh, the first day on the eighth, and the next day I took my car and I, I came back to Italy because I realized that uh, taking my family out of Italy uh, after the lockdown started was uh, uh, unrealistic and and stupid, and so I just uh, joined the 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 home uh, incarceration with my family. Okay, let's start with um, 
let's get let's have an update on the situation in northern Italy first of all. What's been going yes. on since like a week? Is it getting better? Is it is, is it the same? So let's let's start with defining the matrix we are using. Uh, for uh, for what what we can see with our eyes outside is getting uh, better in the sense that uh, we see less uh, scenes of uh, panic. We we see more people out actually. So the people is uh, uh, the, the restrictions are getting uh, are getting stricter, but uh, the reaction of the people is get, is getting a little bit looser. Uh, there are more let's say violation that we can see. We read a newspaper that. Uh, even the enforcement attempts is becoming harder. Like uh, yesterday, a guy was, uh, was uh, fined with criminal charge because he went to the supermarket to buy food, but he, he bought only one confection of bread, one package of bread and three bottles of wine. So the policeman said the wine is not a fundamental, uh, so his, his certification, I'm going to buy food, was not valid because wine is not food. And, uh, and we just read today, of a guy in Turin, a 27 years old guy, that was uh, basically uh, already criminally charged seven times and arrested once, you know, just because he wanted to go out uh, alone, basically. So the, 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 um, the attempt to, to enforce this is going on. Uh, from social media and stuff like that, we can see that uh, uh, the popular support for the restriction is, uh, is, is fading very, very quickly, mostly because people are starting to realize uh, uh, economical consequences, basically. For the for the beginning of the quarantine, the the idea was I just stay home because otherwise I will die, and money will just come from my employee employ, employer. Uh, now money is still coming from for most employees, but some companies are already uh, forcing uh, like uh, vacation, uh, and some companies are just reducing the the wage. Some are closing down already. Uh, also, there is all the people that. Uh, uh, didn't have any uh, fixed wage like entrepreneurs and those are really really scared right now so you can see the uh, a very quick change in the in the public narrative people is following very very closely uh, numbers uh, so you can see also changing narrative based on new numbers coming out every night about the number of infected even if i'm i'm really skeptical about those numbers yeah, I was wondering about this. Uh, you know, we, we saw all, all of these videos coming from Italy for, with people sort of singing from their balconies and sort of this, uh, you know, tr trying to cheer up the mood. And I was thinking right then and there, like, yeah, that's day one. You know, <laughs> are they still going to be singing after a month? Like, how long is this going to take? And what you're saying is that by now people are getting a bit tired of the whole uh, lockdown, but, but police is still enforcing it. Yeah, yeah, the, the classical Italian. Since you cannot enforce regulation A, uh, then instead of trying to enforce it more, you just pass a regulation B, which is stricter than the regulation A. So the idea is that people will try to, to avoid regulation B, but approximating the result of regulation A. So that's like a spiral. You get a, a restriction that are always stricter and stricter and people avoiding them even more. Yeah, okay, as you, you mentioned the, the data and that, if I understood correctly, you're saying that the data is starting to look better, but you don't exactly trust it? Yeah, the data that people are, not just in Italy, basically everywhere, looking at with a lot of attention is basically the number of confirmed case and the number, and less so the number of deaths. So people are saying, today we have, we have like 1,500 new confirmed case. Yesterday it was 
1,400. So the curve is not increasing, the curve is decreasing, the second time derivative of the curve is getting better, so the Gaussian is here, the exponential is here. The problem with this is that if you take those numbers and then you take the number of performed tests in, in most Western countries when that's available, usually that's available at the national, national level, you see that when there is an exponential increase, basically what you have is an exponential increase in, in tests. And since the, it's, it's arguable that amount of infected, the rate of infected people is a kind of established in, in some particular context, you see exponential increase when you have exponential increase in tests. And now, uh, the, the, if, you, if you look at the number of tests executed in the last days, they are not increasing anymore. So they are executing kind of the same number of tests every day. And so the number of new infected people is also not increasing very much, which is completely reasonable if you know what you are measuring. So um, I, I think that the, the decision about uh, the, the, the selection bias in testing is working so well that uh, many, many countries and governments will try to use it in order to, uh, to support different policies. I think that right now the intention will be to support a, a gradual uh, relief of quarantine because because the country is economically dying so they will need better numbers at the beginning they needed very bad number uh, well actually at the beginning the number they needed were, were very well because being scared of the virus in, in January was considered racism then bad number and now good numbers again I, I totally agree with you that um, the the number of cases is we can just ignore that because or at least we got to take that with a huge grain of salt and sort of think about how they got to these numbers and all that now i'm not sure if this is a correct interpretation but i've seen you around on twitter of course and i was getting the impression but maybe that's not uh, the correct impression that you were sort of downplaying the problem itself so what do you think for example of number of hospitalizations and number of deaths these are more reliable right so I think that number of death is a little bit more reliable, not necessarily a lot more reliable, because even number of dead people is just stops increasing if you stop testing, for example. If you, if you have a country that doesn't test, you will have zero dead people uh, because of coronavirus. And you can have an underestimation because some people will just die at home, not tested, or in hospital, not tested. And then you can have an overestimation because the, the more you increase your, your sample of positive people, especially uh, if, you, if you test a lot of people who are uh, kind of old or kind of sick already, the more you will have natural occurring deaths among this uh, these number. Of course, I'm not saying that, uh, that uh, every uh, people dying positive to the test is not dying for the direct consequence of this. Many of those people are, but for example, uh, in an analysis of uh, how many people in the Italian death count were actually uh, um, they're, they're actually reported as dead for bilateral pneumonia caused by this disease. It was a strict minority, it was uh, less than 3% in the first count, a little bit more in the second count. That doesn't mean that all the other will, will, will be he uh, completely healthy right now uh, without the virus, May, uh, maybe the, or, or, dead, or dead anyway. It just is another kind of biased number. I was not, I would uh, object to, the, to your. Uh, to your characterization of downplaying, because I think that my position was basically cut into a cycle. At the beginning, I, I would say January, when I was looking at stuff coming from China, I was considered over paranoid and I was considered like uh, over uh, overestimating the threat because it was 
started to appear kind of clear that the government in China was trying to uh, hide something and also the governments in the West were trying to depict anything as nothing. So it was considered uh, as, mo as more concerned that, that than necessary. Then during the, like, the last weeks, I was uh, considered uh, as downplaying, but for reasons that I will, I will try to explain better because it's not that I consider this as a threat which is not serious. I just consider this threat as uh, uh, serious among any other serious threat that are all in trade-off with each other. So decisions are not so obvious as they may seem uh, or as they will be if we will just in front of a complete apocalypse, which this isn't. And then now, especially in Italy, I'm seeing as a pessimist again because now the people is tired and so the narrative is, okay, it worked, now it's finished, now we, we, we get back uh, to our life, which doesn't make any sense because the real point is uh, if there is no immunity to this disease and this disease is arriving and it will kill 1% of the population, especially among uh, old or, or sick people, and then you prevented them from being infected, now what happens if you just release uh, the, 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 the measures. It hang on, hang on. One, die one, anyway. one second. Is this your current estimation based on the data you've seen and all of the analysis you've done? Is like 1%? Well, let me see. I have very strong opinions about uh, the logical errors in most of the mainstream interpretation of the situation. Uh, I have way less strong opinion about alternative. So what I'm saying is that it's clear that we don't know much. Uh, what I can say is that I think that the most reliable data are the data that were uh, taken in the places where the selection bias was minimum. What I mean with selection bias is, well, I already explained it, but if you test the general population, you, you, you get to 0.5 to 1% uh, fatality, fatality rate. If you test people in the hospital, which are already symptomatic, or also if you test the general population, like they are doing in South Korea, Iceland, inside the contaminated crews, you get half of the people without any symptom at all infected, and half of the people with symptom with symptoms uh, which uh, get to, to uh, I mean, 0.5% to 1% of the total population will eventually die. So if you move the testing to the hospital only in the symptomatic people, of course you will have at least double that number. And if you look, if you move the testing mostly inside the uh, intensive care unit, then you have uh, basically a higher number. Let's consider that people in intensive care with bilateral pneumonia on ventilators, there is an estimation from, from China, which is kind of corroborated here, that 84% of them will die and not be saved by the ventilators. So uh, imagine what happens if you do test on the dead body in the morgue. Basically, you will have 100% of fatality rate. <laughs> sure, yeah. But I, so I think these numbers are pretty accurate and I tend to agree that this, these are the best numbers we have. They're like that's sort of the range we should think about. But I also think these numbers can increase if you don't handle the situation well. If, if more people need intensive care than can get it, then it could actually increase above 1%, no? Well, uh, they can increase not much because as I said, uh, we can get better at that and probably some countries are better at that with some treatments. But the point is that when you are in intensive care, uh, you have, let's say, more than 70% chance to die anyway uh, for bilateral pneumonia, viral pneumonia. So uh, if you take uh, uh, like, like the 20% of people that can be saved uh, for in intensive care, uh, that will not be saved anymore if, I mean, 
only part of that will be saved anymore if you had an, a complete overrun of 10 times, 20 times of intensive care, but not that much. You don't go from 0.5 to 5%. You go from 0.5 to over 0.8 and from 1 to 1.2 and something like that. Uh, so uh, it's true, but it's also, uh, it still doesn't make sense that you can increase to 9% fatality rate like some people are saying. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Okay, so what you were saying earlier, I think if I understood that correctly, is you're almost being sort of anti-cyclical with yeah. sort of the mainstream narrative. Is that, is that the right way to put it? Yeah, because uh, of course my perspective is that I'm being kind of linear, but the mainstream <laughs> narrative is being kind of schizophrenic. Uh, if you if you if you just think about uh, let's assume Italian government which is here around me and the the the, the uh, World Health Organization. So the beginning of the Italian government were saying the uh, literally there were like posters in the street which the sentence the only virus is racism because the virus was perceived as coming from China. So if you are scared for the virus, you are racist. And and there were uh, politicians saying uh, you should. Uh, they were organizing. Uh, aperitivos together to get out. So people were scared. The first instinct of people after reading on social media was to be scared and to reduce a little bit social contacts, Chinese restaurants and stuff like that. And the political activity was to, and the political public narrative was to shame these people that were, that were concerned and to push them into uh, crowded places to celebrate the fact that, uh, that everything goes on. Then they move to uh, every, everything is, is falling apart and the sky is falling and everyone is, is dying. And now it's like, oh, you see, uh, we are doing less tests, so there are less cases, so everything is solved. We, we did the job, uh, you made some sacrifices, but that will be great, and now we will just print money and, every, and, and this will just be forgotten. So my, my view is kind of linear and, and I'm caught between this kind of wave. So in general, what is your perspective on how to deal with a situation like this? And, and to be clear, with a situation like this, I mean a situation where we have a lot of uncertainty and uh, you know, we're not sure about what the data is and it's getting more clear, but it wasn't sure for at least a while. Are you sort of on board with the Nassim Taleb way of looking at it, that you take the precautionary principle or are you more of the empirical research-based approach and why? So I agree with the precautionary, with the precautionary principle, uh, but I don't think that, that Taleb is applying that correctly. Uh, I, because I think that this is not what precautionary principle means. Uh, I think there is something self-contradictory in what Taleb is said about, saying about this crisis. But anyway, what I think is, it's clear that there are a lot of uncertainty in this situation. So for example, we are uncertain about what we are measuring because we explained uh, selection bias. Uh, we are a we know very little about the context around this because, for example, many people, if you say them uh, that this virus is killing for now less people than the flu, they will just say you are crazy. That that's impossible. A lot of people are dying, but that's not because this virus this virus is not as serious as the, I mean, this virus is not just the flu. But the problem is that the flu is not just the flu. People don't understand that the number of people, even young people, even healthy people, dying for the flu every year is a, it's a number that we are used to and we can manage as a society, but it's a very high number. 0.1% of the world population is dying for seasonal flus. That, that's a lot of people. That's, that's literally millions of people sometimes. 
and, uh, and now you can see clearly in the total mortality rate of Italy, you can see some towns with, where you have a 6% number of deaths last year or 8%. But in 2016, we had actually 12 times the people dying for, for seasonal flu. So it's not that uh, saying that it's kind of like the flu, but worse, it's not downplaying. The flu is, is very bad, it kills a lot of people. And then there is a problem with what is the cost. So we can see what is the cost of this virus in terms of people dying. We, we can see that virally, but we can. We, can, we don't have any information about the cost of a global lockdown in the global supply chain, right. the entire economy. We cannot see that. So there is an unseen uh, the second order uh, uh, degree effect, which is incredible. And, and also, what is the strategy? So what we said before, exactly what we are expecting for. We were saying that there is no herd immunity, uh, there is no seasonality. So what you are exactly? So what is your strategy? You stay home one week and then what? So there is a lot of mess. In this mess, what I say is that uh, the approach should basically privilege reason over instinct. Because, uh, for example, Taleb was uh, was uh, was arguing in favor of panic, but panic is a very ancient evolutionary instinct that was conceived evolutionary in order to react to lions uh, chasing you in the in the savanna. If you are not uh, uh, chased by a lion in the savanna, uh, running faster or pretending you are dead or trying to punch a virus will not help you. So you have to, to privilege reason over instinct. And you have pr to privilege context over, over narrative. So yeah, this is bad. Nobody's arguing about that, but how much compared to what? Uh, what is the cost of, uh, of the economic collapse? What is the cost of psychological? How many, for example, how many uh, suicide cases are there in Italy? How much suicide cases can maybe worse uh, by, uh, by uh, people being locked home for, uh, for a month? Or how much the spreading of the virus within the family with a very high viral load because you stayed in contact, close contact with your elderly? And how many people will have less viral load if exposed to the virus outside? All this stuff is something that you have, you have to understand. And then so there is are, like basically... These are good rhetorical questions, but now I want an answer, Giacomo. Like, what is okay. what? What are you suggesting? Uh, the, the the real I will try to to play along with you and to give you some like uh, um, uh, some like uh, let's say perfect answers. But the real serious meta answer that I want to make very clear is that the answer is competition of approaches uh, of assumption and of strategies. So the real answer. The, 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 there is not a symmetry here. It's not that one, the, the state centralized answer is quarantine and the decentralized alternative is everybody goes around. And it's not that the centralized approach is you should go around, otherwise you're racist, and the alternative is no, you, you should self-isolate. The, the, the centralized approach is simple. It's a nice story. It's very unique. It's very unique. While the, the centralized alternative is not simple to explain for the fact that it's not really an approach. It's a meta approach. It's uh, tr uh, everybody should try a different approach and, and adapt uh, while going. So the meta answer is uh, not an answer for real. That said, what we did for this crisis was basically to, uh, to do like this. And uh, in January, uh, we, we basically started to push our parents to, to uh, self-insulate home because we didn't know what this was. And we started to order masks and to uh, and to press for uh, push for self-insulation, especially Mir's parents because they are older than mine. They are over 80, so they were especially at risk. The strategy there was clear. We don't know what what is happening, so do not uh, do not uh, try the, the fate until you know until you have a strategy. Just stay home and, and do that. 
then in uh, when we came back from the united states on the 29th of february we self-insulated as well be, uh, uh, nine days before of the global quarantine because that just made more sense uh, in order to to understand what was going on right now uh, if it was not for the legal risk of going out, we will definitely start to going out again, especially for primary necessity like uh, uh, food, like uh, even because one thing is people self -ins I mean, when you have competition, you also have the system working because you have different approaches. So maybe somebody stays home, but somebody else is, can provide the food from the supermarket. When everybody stays home, then you have three hours, literally three hours of, uh, of uh, line at the supermarket with everybody standing close to each other for three hours without masks. Because of course, the, the World Health Organization and the Italian government uh, are pushing the narrative that somehow, miraculously, a, 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 contagious, a contagion, which is transmitted with, uh, with droplets from, from your mouth and nose, cannot be uh, uh, um, mitigated with covering your face. So that's, that's another absolutely the, the, the main, the absolutely moronic narrative, which is working though, because people are not using masks. Just to be clear, so when you're saying we should be trying different solutions, you're, you, what you mean is actually individuals should be trying different solutions. You don't mean different countries should be trying different solutions, which we're Precisely. seeing right now. Yeah, I, I exactly mean but, that. Maybe even a little bit more than individuals. I, I, I mean, our solution, solutions were not individual, they were familiar. And of course, when you have the companies, your solution can actually involve your employees and partners and, and suppliers. So uh, every kind of, of, of a social group where you can scale some level of, uh, of trust, responsibility, uh, decision making, not for sure. Maybe I can, I can conceive something working at the level of a small micronation like Hong Kong or Singapore or Vatican City or uh, Liechtenstein Principality. Those are states that are so little that basically it's people knowing each other. We can, we can decide speaking with each other, understanding and knowing the, the complexity of the, of, the, of the chains of relationship. Everything above that is just basically uh, creating a disaster. So uh, like Thoreau said, the best government is the government that governs less. And, uh, and I agree about that even in this situation because uh, it's, not, it's not doing something against doing nothing. It's doing everybody the same thing against doing everybody different things depending on the moment, on the strategy, on the assumption, on the period and on the need, which are always different among people. Yeah, I, I, that, that sounds fairly reasonable to me. I, the, the biggest issue I've personally had with what I've been seeing governments do is, oh, the, you actually mentioned that is just the false information, the nonsense we're hearing about masks, about if you don't give people honest information, they can't decide for themselves what is a good approach to this uh, type of problem. All right, the next uh, topic I want to get to is, I would like to know how in a purely libertarian society, a problem like this would be would be dealt with um and and i want to take that step by step i'm very curious to hear your answers to this so first step how do we even uh discover a problem like this if there is no national health institute sort of testing people and researching this kind of stuff how do we know that there is a problem that people should care about 
So this is, this is very interesting because what happened, for example, in China is that uh, some, uh, some doctors inside the university that they, you could argue are partially funded by the government, but let's take a little, bit, a little step, uh, a little step uh, back about this. Uh, why do high-level research universities even exist in the world? Not because they were instituted by governments. Universities were born basically in Italy and, and in Europe in the Middle Ages uh, from private individuals and sometimes religious institutions uh, in order to basically gather uh, wealthy students uh, that were hiring their professor. Universities are a product of the free market. And um, the most important university system are not the, uh, you don't find the best universities where the, the government is more active, like in North Korea, you find the best university where the government is paradoxically less active, even if too much active, if you, if you ask me, like in the United States or Switzerland or, or places like that. So a very good Chinese university that if you look at the history of the one uh, center, it was, uh, uh, it was partially funded by the military, but it was basically a, a very free university where it's not what, it was not the political power to decide what you are searching on. It was, there was a lot of freedom of research. Then one guy inside that university discovered, looking for a new SARS uh, epidemic, uh, discovered the new strand of a coronavirus. That guy was took by the government and silenced by the government. It was forbidden to spread the news. So government intervention in discovering was not helping the discovery. It was exactly the opposite. It was doing everything possible to keep people from knowing about the discovery. So I, I think it's very, very difficult to make a case that nation, state ha, nation states help into the uh, discovery. Yeah, there, there are funds in, uh, in uni public funding university, but uh, that's like, that's reversing cause and effect. Like if the if nation states uh, basically sized politically uh, healthcare and university system and military system and financial system, of course uh, you can say in the free market there are no bank accounts because all banks are regulated by the government. Sure, but that's the other way around. I mean, there were banks before the government sized the banks and now uh, the, the government is reducing the competition inside banks and is funding and saving and bailing out banks. But that doesn't mean that the free market will not produce banks and financial system. It well, did way before nation states. Yeah, okay, so but what would be the profit motive for looking for these kinds of viruses? This might be a dumb question, but I'm, I'm just curious. No, the, the, the point is that profit motives are, uh, so the people do not only move for short-term profits. That, that, that's basically a mischaracterization of human beings. People created uh, leprosary in India without any state intervention. They created universities, they created religions, philosophies, they created the reading uh, book clubs, uh, Freemasonry lodges. Uh, they created a lot of stuff for long-term thinking. Uh, there is this meme that uh, if you introduce compulsive uh, violence from a central party, then you have long-term thinking. And if you don't introduce that, then you have people that will just look at the, uh, the profit in the, in the short term, which is basically a paradox, especially in democracy. Because if you think about that, if people were just thinking about short term profit, then they, democratically they would just vote for people uh, providing uh, short term, uh, short -term uh, incentives, which is actually the case. Because for example, in democracy, politicians and bureaucrats, they are not concerns unlike monarchs and, and tyrants, 
politicians and bureaucrats are not really concerned about a 10-year horizon because they will be retired in 10 years. They need consensus now. And they, if they look at 10 years instead of looking at now, they will lose the election against their opponent that is looking at now and giving people some money now. So the state mechanism, especially in democracies, but even in populist dictatorships like China is the same because even if they don't vote, they need some kind of support by the people. They, they cannot really manage the biggest country on earth just scaring people with guns. They need some kind of popular support using a populist rhetoric. So they need to give people stuff today instead of the think, thinking long term. Uh, most of the things done uh, lasting for centuries by human beings were not actually forced by political decision. Uh, it's true the opposite. When people is free, usually they are richer, and people when people are richer, they can uh, sacrifice some some immediate profit for a longer term profit that can be a profit for you when you are old, or a profit for your children and your and the children of your children, or a profit for mankind, or a profit for your immortal soul if you believe you have one, and so on. So it would be gifts, essentially. It would be funded by gifts. This type type of research is that how you would envision that, or? Well, it, it was called mercenatism. It was uh, that there is some kind of direct ret immediate return, which is visibility, uh, like uh, reputation. Uh, there is uh, some kind of, I mean, uh, I've spent last uh, five years of my life spending most of the money I was making with consultancy to uh, fund for free uh, Bitcoin research and development. Why did I do that? Because I'm a saint? No, because that's selfish. I was feeling good. I got a reputation, I got contacts, I, got, I was respected because of that. I was happy to get the results of, of, the, of the effort, even if my effort will be diluted by a lot of free riding. So a lot of people not funding Bitcoin research will still be using Bitcoin research, even if I funded that and other people didn't. But I'm still happy to fund it because even with free riding, people do stuff even when you have a positive externalities. It's like when you put flowers on your balcony, Everybody else will, uh, will, will see the flowers and be happy. But you still, still put the flower, even if somebody else can free run your flowers. So, so would this also translate, you think, to a much larger scale operation? To give a concrete example, one of the things that people are praising about the approach in countries like South Korea is like this large scale testing. You know, they've got uh, drive throughs they've got phone booths. Um, a contact tracing, like it's a big operation funded yeah, by the state, I, funded by taxpayer money. It seems to me like that's a lot of, that's a big operation to just have funded voluntarily. Well, it, it's the other way around. When you are in a very large scale complex system and you want a long-term sta stable result, uh, centralization actually produces the opposite. Uh, you just have to think that when you are funding research, you also want to govern research. And when you want to govern research, you start to monopolize and to license. And so you have the Food and Drug Administration uh, forbidding people from distributing new kind of tests that they discovered. Same stuff in Italy. The, some people in Naples in university came up with a new test and the government forbidden the use of the test. Uh, there is a guy, a famous rapper in Italy, which donated a few millions to hospital and the, a government agency uh, they frozen the, 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 the money because uh, it was against some regulation, and so the money cannot be used. So there is a lot of example of uh, people producing 
testing uh, tools because I mean not because they are saints but because maybe they can sell those or maybe they can they can make profit out of that so uh, what you will have is probably with when, what you usually oh. have at scale with freedom is less efficiency but more resiliency and anti-fragility so you don't have the efficient deployment of one test you have uh, entropy at a smaller level but you have a lot of more result in the larger level and the long term. So instead of having one big state campaign of testing, uh, you will have many small uh, episodes of, uh, of, of, of testing everywhere, basically producing a net amount uh, of uh, a positive net amount of testing and research. You mentioned that people who made these tests would also profit from it, but how would they profit then? Well, basically, uh, when there is a cost, you have to cover the cost. So uh, if, uh, if, if you assume a complete uh, state-free society, it's clear that you will have to uh, get, uh, you will have basically the non-profit sector uh, uh, gifting stuff, as we said before, for the same reason that people built uh, leprosaries in India, so for charity. And then you will have just the for-profit uh, for distribution, which is not really, um, it's not really, focused on increasing the cost. It's focused on decreasing the cost, also decreasing the price in order to increase volume and increase the marginalities. It's like, it's like a, a flight, flight companies, like uh, higher companies. Uh, the point for, for Ryanair and the point from, from, uh, from all these companies were not to have something very expensive to rip people off. They want to have something very, very cheap so that they can sell at volume, making economies of scale. So they, they will profit by selling it to people either directly or via ins medical insurance or a lot of other more indirect uh, mechanisms. And the point would be a, a race to make that uh, cheaper and, and more and more widespread. Uh, you can see there basically everywhere. There are a few industries where the incentive for, for the entrepreneur is to create very few, very expensive elite products. But that's a niche in every market. Most of the entrepreneurs in the market, they want to hit the volumes of mass production and mass distribution to, to, perform, to take advantage of economies of scale. So you, have, you want a big pen. You don't want a, yeah, you have the Mont Blanc collection pen, but that's a niche. The mass production is the big pen that everybody can, can, can buy everywhere because that's where the, the big money is. It's McDonald's versus, uh, versus fancy restaurants. Fancy restaurants do exist, but McDonald's will, will conquer the world. Let's get to the next point because it ties in with this point anyways. Um, hospitals themselves, like people, intensive care is expensive. A hospital bed is expensive. All of that is extremely, very expensive. How in a libertarian society would people, well, some people can afford it. What about the people that can't? They're going to exist. You would agree with that, no? Are they just Absolutely. out of luck? Well, they already are, meaning that people who cannot afford some kind of... So you have to imagine that right now, if you, if you assume infinite economic resource, you can basically keep a human, a human body alive in some way forever. So the point is that if you are a president of a state or the Pope, you can have access to some kind of medical care that will basically prolong your life a lot compared to the, the, the service that anybody else can have. So it's a lie to think that right now in socialist countries like Italy or, or more socialist countries like North Korea, you have equal uh, treatment for all. Resources are, are scarce. And if you put this resource in the hands of an organization, 
unless this organization is made by saints and angels. But if this organization, so if the people are saints and angels, you can just leave the market free and they will just gift everything to each other because they are saints and angels. If they are not saints and angels, but they are human beings, then you create an organization of human beings in charge of all the resources. What they will do will be to privilege first the insiders of the organization. So in any kind of, of regime that you go from Cuba to North Korea to the United States of America, uh, you will find the elite managing the resources for everybody being uh, first in line to accede access to the scarcer sources when they are where they are scarcer so it's not that it doesn't so pareto distribution of resources is just unescapable uh 20% of the people will kind of have 80% of the resources and 80% of the people will end up with 20 your your decision is do you want the 20 to be the people closer to the king or to the emperor or to the bureaucrat or you want to be the people that actually work hard to make these resources more available for others or uh, have some kind of healthy competition. So you have scarce resources. People die and you can prolong the life of people if you spend a lot of money on it. Not, not, not forever, not, but you can. Basically, the more money you throw at the problem, the better it is. So the problem is if the society overall uh, 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 values the life of the of the of the people, especially the 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 the, the, the weaker uh, people among them, then they will employ money to uh, to attend these people. Uh, it's a, especially in democratic countries is a paradox to think that people would be selfish, but then when they go in the in the when they go to vote inside the poll, uh, magically they become selfless, and so they will never donate. Uh, uh, $1,000 for, for poor people, but they will vote to be taken $3,000 instead for the people. And considering that usually for the cost of bureaucracy and the cost of lack of competition, the cost of monopoly, you have two, three times, four times less efficiency of the same money spent in a, I mean, if you take $1,000 and you spend it within a competitive system, usually have from three to four times the, the delivery, uh, it depends on the market, of course. Then if you put that in charge of a single monopolist with zero incentive to be efficient, uh, because it will start to hire uh, his relatives, it will start to, to get political uh, rent, uh, getting some political advantage, renting out uh, some, some money, some position. So you, uh, the, 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 this guy, the, the typical selfish guy in a democracy, he is, he is selfless enough that he doesn't want to see the, the, the poor people dying on the street, so he will vote to be robbed uh, $3,000, but he will not give $1,000 himself. That's just contradictory. It, you could make the case of a, a tyranny of the dictatorship. People are selfish, but the dictator, for some reason, is selfless. He's the only selfless human being or one of the few. So you put him in charge of the self, self, selfish bastards, and he will force people that will not spend money for the poor to spend money for the poor. This is, this is a, a very unlikely scenario. You could argue that there is, a, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm not considering the prisoner dilemma. So some people will say, I can donate, but I want to donate only if you also you are forced to donate. So you can increase the amount of donation if you know that other people are forced to. But that's, that's a mostly a psychological and cultural effort. It's not, if you really consider the, if you, if you run all numbers and you, and you, reach, uh, you, uh, you um, rationally think about the, uh, the, the, um, the decision metrics of the individual, 
he would be better off donating than being robbed for three times the, the amount. The reason that he preferred to be forced is more some, this kind of cultural thing that with, 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 there is this schizophrenic culture of statism in which we think that uh, people in the states are, uh, people managing the state are superhumans, somehow different from people. So there is this elitist mentality. Okay. The governor is better than the governed. I I agree with a lot of the criticism you have on the state, but I I I still I feel like you haven't really answered the core question here: is that poor people right now are at least being helped, and in a libertarian society, I did, I just don't see that happening. I, I yeah I, I see that happening more. I don't I see I see that the uh, the the shortcomings of the solution will be would be more evident in a libertarian society because there are less prestige, uh, there, there are less basically tricks, uh, but, and fireworks around it. But the thing would be that, I think that around the same amount of money, if a little, maybe a little bit less, will be spent for helping the poor people in food and uh, healthcare and stuff like that. And this slightly, uh, a slightly reduced amount of money will have an efficiency that could be three or four or even more times better. So I think that overall, you will have still people that can afford very expensive treatments and people that can. And that's, I think it's an unavoidable in statism and in freedom. But I think that in freedom, you would have a, a higher overall amount of resources spent for single poor person. So uh, these are, it's not, I, th I think, yeah. the, so the questions to all, all of the answers that I've asked so far are, if I would have to summarize it in one sentence, gifts, like people would have to gifts these sorts of services like it would be no, uh no i think it's gift gift economy is a part of that but not everything there is a, there is some profit mechanism that that uh, in, that reduces the cost to access so again ryanair didn't want to give people cheap flights to visit the sure world. okay that's that that because they wanted to make money so there is an incentive to be cheaper and cheaper there is an overall production of wealth that makes uh, uh, easier to, to to gift so there is a there is uh, some profit, some short-term short profit-driven reasons, like the Adam Smith argument is true, but it's not just that. Of course, there is also a very strong, people that only talk about the Adam Smith selfish uh, virtue, uh, I think they are, they are just uh, excluding a, a very big part of reality. Human beings invented universities and hospitals for poor people, mostly for religious or, uh, or non-religious, but, uh, but secularist philanthropic movements. So, Freemasonry, uh, the, the Rotary Club, the Lions, the, 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 I don't know, stuff like that, the socialist communes and churches, of course, of many religions were a, a driving force of most of the, of the charity efforts around. And, and people are still like that today. In, in the USA, a lot of people, you're considered a bastard if you're rich and you do not donate to charity. It works. It's a, there is also a, a social implication to that. That was actually going to be my next question. So, because yeah, it sounds good in theory, but are there practical examples of it? And you're saying this is what we're seeing in the United States now, but they also have a large uh, state, and the state funds hospitals as well. No, I'm not. I'm not uh, entirely well, clear in the American situation. To a, to a lesser degree, uh, America is strange because the the culture of the United States is really permeated by, by this idea of individual responsibility and social responsibility. A, a successful individual must be uh, voluntarily active in the community, 
so it's not about the state to arrive down from, from Washington and tell you what is right and what is wrong. There's a strong cultural rejection to this mentality on the, in the tradition of the United States that were born around the ideas of, of uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Locke. So the, cult, the political culture of the United States is the government is bad. Maybe it's a necessary even that we have to keep for some reason, but it's very bad and the less you involve it, the better it is. And then there is the reality of the last, of the last uh, decades that are kind of, I mean, the culture is still like that. The practice is, the practice is very different because uh, basically after, uh, after uh, the New Deal, the, the, the government intervention ex exploded. I mean, in Europe, government intervention exploded to new all-time heights with World War I. Uh, so World War I was a point of deflection point where government intervention in Europe be, be, went from, let's say, 10% of, of human life to 60% of human life. But also America was not immune of that. But uh, if you go there, you can find that at the federal level, there is a lot of intervention distortion. Actually, since the United States are the biggest, America, uh, the biggest economy in the world, uh, the, the intervention of the, of the federal states is the biggest intervention in the world, and sometimes also the scarier intervention in the world. I mean, uh, financial regulators in the USA can actually scare somebody doing business in, in Ukraine for some reason. So it's, it's a big, giant, scary state, but the culture of the people, especially local level, is still very much permeated of uh, the idea of uh, charity donation and, uh, and the fact that uh, even if you do something for profit, that will somehow, if you are a good entrepreneur, it will help the overall society because it will make you richer and you will spend more and so on. So we are kind of now in this situation, like this is happening, or at least, you know, we have this kind of problem. So if we put, want to put this to the test, what is the best, how can we make it falsifiable, Giacomo? Where do we look at? Which regions do we compare? Because that's, that would be interesting to see in a couple of months where it works out better than others, right? Yeah, it's still, uh, I want to be honest, it will still not be falsifiable. So this is a little bit meta science. It's not real science because you cannot sure. make an a prediction with an experiment. You can try to see correlation and you can, but you can see a lot of narrative there. So I may be biased, but if you compare the, uh, for example, the hospital in uh, hospitals in Italy, uh, which is basically a universal healthcare, uh, state funded, state run, very centralized situation. It was, it became a little less centralized in the last uh, 20 years in Lombardy. But the, the paradox was that Lombardy started to some cooperation between private sector and the state. But then the, the access was free for everybody. So every, everybody from all the rest of Italy basically came to be, uh, to be treated only Lombardy. So you had a, a continuous over overflow, uh, continuous over uh, overcharge of, uh, of uh, intensive care and, and normal hospital for decades. So it's not the first time that you can read on the newspaper uh, Lombardy uh, health system collapsing because it happened many, many times. So it, it's a lot, that, but Giacomo, it's definitely worse now, right? And it, at least in the Netherlands, it's worse. We've not, I've never seen anything like this where it's filling up the way it is. Well, it's objectively worse than, than everything that everything I've seen seen as well. Uh, many doctors I've spoken with would say that it's not the worst uh, health crisis, but it, it's the worst hospital crisis. So it's still, for now, the numbers are still lower than other crises like in the, uh, in the, late, uh, in the late 90s, we had a very strong uh, new flu epidemic that killed more people than now, for now. I mean, this could get, 
more in the future. But right now, the number of people dying is less than then. But then the, the there was not number. everything. Yeah, the absolute number. But then there was not the same kind of problem around because now the problem is that, you see, my, my point against centralization is that when you centralize a decision, you don't know, you don't have information and incentives. And when you don't have information and incentives, you can, you can create more problems. For example, uh, in an in intensive care unit, you have uh, uh, the X, uh, 10 beds and five doctors. But if the doctors have to enter uh, one, uh, uh, two suits, uh, hazmat suits for, for the contamination, and you have just two, and you have to reduce the number and you have to increase the time uh, across the switches so you have less doctor uh, taking care of patients. And if you have to insulate completely the intensive care, then you need basically to reduce the number of beds because now you have the, the basically the insulation part and you have to move the patients outside. And if you are scaring people with some kind of terrorism, you will have an emergency room flooded by people that think now they have the, the, the COVID-19. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, and then you have to screen, and screening beca become more, in more, more, more. So the the, the unintended consequences are very, very heavy. So this is objectively the worst crisis in an hospital. But but my original point was yeah. Let's get back Italy, to the original point. Yeah, the the original point was uh, it's not probably the perfect comparison of the extreme. But let's compare South Korea with the, uh, Italy. Italy is a very state-run healthcare system. And South Korea, even if it's still, of course, very fun, I mean, it's not a libertarian paradise, but if you, if you uh, read about the structure of the healthcare there, it's made mostly by private, uh, private hospitals that are, of course, partially subsidized by the state, but uh, they are in, in, a, in, a, in a competition which is actually way freer than the one in the United States where the hospitals are kind of free, but the insurance mechanisms are super regulated in a very, very strict cartels that makes uh, uh, insurance, insurance cost very, very high. So well, and, South and Korea. In, and in South Korea, they have uh, the state doing a lot of work to try to uh, suppress the virus with all the testing, with all the contact tracing. So it's going to be uh, difficult well, maybe to test the libertarian theory. It's difficult because also that there is this bias that since we live in a world of nations, uh, you also have to compare the libertarian nation with the statist nation. But the concept of nation state is statist, so you cannot have a comparison. What you can see, find is look at the sectors, the, 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 the bubbles of the context of less intervention versus the cost of, of more intervention. You can also look at like knowledge on the internet versus knowledge on the TV. TVs are more regulated than the internet. Internet are, are full of fake news, but television is full of fake news as well. Where is possible to find at least both? The internet. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you can compare that. You can compare, uh, you can make a lot of comparison. There are some places where there is more freedom and some places like, if you, can, if you compare North Korea with Switzerland, I think Switzerland is more freedom. North Korea is less freedom. There is no objection there. And okay, my final is better. My final point in this sort of libertarian versus um, market solutions. Right now, a lot of people are losing their jobs or their companies are in trouble because people just don't, don't show anymore. You know, airlines are going bust. Like all of that sort of stuff is happening. In a libertarian society, how would these people be dealt with? Would they just be out of luck? I guess so. Uh, while right now, at least they're sort of the government helping them the first couple of months in Europe, that's sort of what's happening so they can take the next step in their life or how, go on. So 
let's let's start. So the reality right now is that they are out of luck, meaning that they will not have the same amount of economic resources they did and not in a sustainable way. So it's not that right now they don't have a problem. They have a problem, but they still receive some money. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a world where there is not forced redistribution, uh, they will probably have, uh, they will probably start to, uh, re to build alternative strategies to have the, for example, I give you an example. Right now there is the, in Italy, there is the uh, social security scheme, which is an actual perfect Ponzi scheme. So you give money to the government, the government spend the money to pay people which is retiring now, and there is no money at all for people that will retire, retire later, and there is no investment mechanism that will make the money grow. So it's a perfect, really Charles Ponzi level uh, kind of scheme. So this scheme is clearly not going to be sustainable. So if you go to work, they tell you, you know, you will probably not have a, a retirement, so you should invest part of your wage into a retirement scheme. And so you have to anyway use that kind of solution. So uh, it's not that right now we have a solution which is sustainable and in a libertarian world, we wouldn't. In a libertarian world, we will have scarcity and struggles and, and bad luck and tragedy as well, uh, just as now, but people will be free to adapt and to search for strategies like saving part of your wage in order to be, uh, to be like that. And then you will have, of course, the tragedy of the, you know, the, the ant and the, and the, I don't know, I said the, the, the cricket or the, uh, it's the cricket, the other animal. Anyway, the, the animal which sings all the, all the sure. summer and the ant is working. You have that, that problem. Uh, do you want to, pun, to punish bad uh, um, lack of, uh, of, of, um, uh, of caution, caution? I mean, if people have high time preference, so they spend everything now and they don't save. Are you going to bail them out or not? If you do that always, then you will create very, very bad incentives and moral hazard for everybody not to save. But if you do that never, then you are a heartless bastard and you, and you, are, just, uh, and you are just letting people to die. So well, the, what you have other... to do is basically to... Do, 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 do. Hello, this is a public service announcement by your podcaster. At this point in the interview, Giacomo had been building his argument for about a minute, and just when he was about to make his point, I felt the need to interrupt him with a joke. We never got back to his point. So instead, I'll now explain his point. Giacomo was saying that if you always bail out companies and people, you create bad incentive and moral hazard. While if you never bail them out, you're a cold-hearted bastard that doesn't care about other people. So, and I'm now quoting Giacomo because I asked him after the interview, he said, the micromanagement about that is very critical and delicate and there is no one size fits all easy answer. Thus, decentralization. A small charity can responsibly navigate between free riding and actual needs, between bad incentive and some forgiveness. A giant bureaucracy simply cannot. Now we'll get back to the interview and we'll start with my amazing joke. The, the other thing is for people to be able to save uh, we we really need something like sound money do you have any ideas for that or uh, no unfortunately <laughs> there is no there is no if only we had a, if we had a strategy for that we will i mean some people try, try to create some money in recent years like in the 90s with e-gold but then the state came and they arrested the founder and they closed it down. So we will need something like that, but decentralized, which is something I cannot even begin to imagine. Sounds interesting. 
All right, I think we should uh, make an end to this. I, I, I'll give you my final thoughts, I think. I really like this vision. I just, I'm not sure. It, it depends on a certain view of mankind and how people will act in this sort of society. And I kind of, the hopeful part of me thinks you might be right about that. But uh, I, I, it would be great if we could test it somehow, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, it's difficult to test it consistently. We can we can have hints of this working, and we can. I think we have strong logical arguments and uh, and strong overall long term um, historical evidence. But it's very difficult to have a very very precise testing of that. But anyway, to to respond to your final comment, uh, my vision of mankind is not optimistic because uh, if if I was optimistic, I would think that government would be useless, but also harmless. Uh, I am pessimistic because I think that people can behave very bad with freedom or within government. What I think is that if you do, if you behave bad in a centralized situation, you create more damages than in the centralized one. So my vision is not human. Human beings are always generous. Since they are also selfish and corrupt and lazy and incompetent, then when you centralize them in a scale that is more than the scale where they have skin in the game and good information and good incentives, then you are in for a disaster. So it's not that, it's not that government are useless because people are good. Governments are dangerous because people are also bad. But there's also a lot of generosity involved in your solutions, unless you don't actually believe in these solutions. Which no, is no, an option, it, but maybe your position, but I, that wasn't my impression of your position, that no, your position I, is, well, we're yeah, fucked yeah. anyway, so we might as well be fucked without the government. <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, I think a human, human uh, I think that humankind is a mix of uh, good and bad things. And I think that uh, at scale, uh, the centralized solution can actually increase the good and uh, mitigate the bad, not, not eradicate it, but mitigate, while uh, centralization can actually concentrate the bad in a way that can explode in something like uh, Nazism and World War II and, and tragedies like that. Uh, wait, did that answer my question? <laughs> so you, well, uh, we, we depend on a lot of generosity in your model. So do you believe there would be this generosity as well, at least? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a mixed bag. So I think that it would be generosity and corruption. And I think that this model would, would, uh, this model would incentivize generosity and mitigate corruption. While centralism, uh, or in time at equilibrium, it disincentivizes generosity because I mean I am already paying my taxes. I am not going to donate the stuff because uh, we are all citizens. We are uh, already taken care of. So it decreases responsibility and generosity reputation, and it increases corruption. So uh, I I don't want to. My my vision is not optimist. Is uh, I think it's realist. Uh, the the human human beings are good enough that they can do something good even if not forced by a central agency and bad enough that the central agency will, will create a lot of damages. All right, Giacomo, I think this was my longest episode so far that was uh, predictable by having you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, enjoy your uh, 20 square meters or <laughs> however, however much uh, room you have to walk around over there. We can still walk yeah, luckily, up, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Also, luckily, we are we are nerds. So, I mean, I can pretend to be mad at the government because of ideological reason, but the sad reality is that I was not going anywhere anyway. So, it's true. Problem. Yeah, that's I. I think uh, I said this in the Michael Fox on interview. Yeah, it. We wouldn't as Bitcoiners, we wouldn't even notice the difference if we didn't I mean, pay attention to the news. <laughs> let, let's take the bright side. 
this is the cypherpunk dream. Uh, we are all on the computer, and when we are out of the computer, we are wearing facial masks. So it's perfect. Right, exactly. All right, have a good day. You too. Bye.